Kia ora, John Boynton, former colleague of mine. This is a bit odd because here we are uh, just off a very busy Auckland street looking at a fake Christmas tree right beside a train station. But what what we're here to talk about is somewhere that's far, far away from this. We're we're here to talk about Te Uruwera. And I'm talking to you because you are Tuhoi. How would you describe it? It's a huge place in these different whāroa valleys and different communities. I come from uh, the Matahi Valley, which is kind of on the fringes of the Uruwera towards Whakatane, about 30 minutes out. And whenever I think of Matahi, um, I think about my nan's homestead, our whānau homestead, which is still there, and the many Christmases and summers we spent there. And it's a place where kind of time just stops and you're surrounded by this beautiful ngahere and, and these beautiful klinawa and... I think about New Year's spent up at Eight Acres, you know, a really popular park where campers go and, you know, you swim all day, you have a barbecue, cooking pippies on the iron over the fire. So, yeah, I'm really lucky to have those experiences and to have that whakapapa connection to Hiriwera. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly and I'm talking to John Boynton, reporter for The Hui, a Māori current affairs show on News Hub. And today on The Detail, we look at that connection to the ancient forest of Te Uruwera, homeland of Tuhoi, that underlies the stoush over the demolition of dozens of backcountry huts. Dismantled, burned and decommissioned. Hunters, rescuers, Pākehā and iwi members alike, unhappy with the co-governance decision to raise almost every Te Uruwera hut to the ground. Tuhoi has been ordered to immediately stop burning down tramping huts in Te Uruwera after one of their own took legal action. The Tuhoi leadership says the huts need to go and it has a better plan. Well, we are wanting to rid Te Uruwera of landmarks and things that aren't necessarily about connection. So it's about more than some old huts being burnt down. It's been a flashpoint for something that's been simmering and something that is deeper. It brings in the history of Te Uruwera, the former national park, now its own legal identity under the 2014 treaty settlement with Tuhoi. It is more than 2,000 square kilometres of rugged hill country with the largest area of native forest in the North Island, a place where Tuhoi are the Tanata Whenua and Kaitiaki, host and guardians, but no one owns it. What makes the Ngahiri different there, the forest? You know, I go back to my first trip to Maungapoha to a very special place in Tūruwera. Um, many kaumatua refer to it as the manawa of Tika Maui, or the heart of the North Island. As Manuhiri walked onto Maungapoha to Marae, deep in the Uruwera National Park, they were greeted with pelting rain and the chorus of Tuhoi's famed haka, Te Puru, ringing in the valley peaks. It was a significant day for the descendants of Ruakenana. And when you travel there, you travel along these ridges and you see this ancient forest and these trees which are kind of quite whimsical and bent out of shape and shaped by the environment. And your mind goes back to, um, you know, the times of your tūpuna and what it must have been like for them and the special community they built up there. So, very special place. 
It's special but also fraught, John, yes. at times. Yes. Of course, the Crown relationship and with Tuohu has been very difficult, you know, Rua Kenana and the invasion of Maunga Pohatsu. They welcomed the Crown back to a community that was raided by armed police in April 1916 to arrest Rua Kenana. During the raid, police killed Rua Kenana's son Toko and his son's uncle, Te Maipi. And even in contemporary times, the Ruatuki raid, so that, there has been a lot of historical trauma uh, there for the whānau of Tuhoe and uh, within the Teruera Ranges. Your own tūpuna, what, what stories do, do you hear of their experiences with Te Uruera? I remember when my nan was alive telling me stories of her time growing up in Maunga Pohatu. She was a granddaughter of Rua Kenana and she talked about you know, going to school, the missionary schools with the slates and chalk and you know, seeing the hills move during the Napier earthquakes. You know? So when I was able to go there for the first time in 2017, it was really special to see and imagine that community and what life was like for her. I think there was a lot of pain there, especially with the invasion. Um, the community was really shaken, it was ripped apart, you know, and they carried that hurt for a very, very long time and they didn't talk about Manga Pohatsu a lot. Those little stories that I did hear from her were really rare but really special. But you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of trauma still there. Speaking of hurt, mm. right now a lot of people are feeling hurt over this latest decision to demolish the huts in Te Iriwera, which is obviously a court injunction has stopped that for now. But you have written about, or you have reported on the divisions within Tuhoi. Yeah, so in 2018 I covered the Tuhoi Ahure, which is a really um, significant cultural festival. <laughs> The young voices of Tuhoi echoed across the heartland of Te Arawa this weekend in Rotorua, as the Ahure returned to where it first began in 1974. There was controversy around the fact that the post-treaty settlement entity, Teru Taumatsua, didn't provide any funding for it and that costs were covered by sponsorship and ticket sales. And at the time I interviewed the chair, Palmati Kruger, and he spelled out, you know, their different processes that they have in place for making decisions. And But there were groups at the Ahure that um, didn't believe in the direction that uh, Tūru Taumatua was going in and wanted more transparency and more involvement, I guess, in that decision-making process. So, this stoush over the huts, how significant is that? Yeah, you know, that's been a way for whānau to connect with Tūruwera. You know, they might be dock buildings, but I think the community and Tūhui have given them life and that's been their way to hunt and, and have that relationship with the Ngahere. So I don't think you can discount their relationship and I guess their whakapapa with those huts, but you also have to look at what maybe Tūru Taumatu is trying to do in creating a new whakapapa um, and a new relationship I guess for, for whānau and, and for the wider community in Aotearoa to have with Te Uruwera. But it is Te Uru Taumatua led by Tamati Kruger that is under fire again, not just from its own people but trampers, hunters and other manuhiri. Here's Jamie Tahana, RNZ's Māori News Director. 
it came up in October to Uruto Matoa, which is the operational side of that governance board for Te Uruwera, set about on these plans to demolish a lot of the huts of these huts in Te Uruwera, which is a huge, stunning, remote area of of mountain in the northeast, back into Bay of Plenty, Hawke's Bay, sort of that, that part of the country. You know, a lot of these huts were built in the 1950s and they are quite old. They're also, in many cases, quite well used. So that caused a bit of controversy because, one, many felt it came out of the blue by Te Urutaumatua that one minute they're there and next minute 29 in total have been now been demolished. So that sparked a bit of outrage among outdoor groups and groups like that. It's been hundreds and hundreds of nights in these huts and they've become part of your life and love, lifestyle and our families have associated in there and brought our, our kids up in there and um, and it's done to rip the heart and soul out of, out of Tiwa from a Manahiri or visitor's perspective. They're losing these huts. What's following? They've, there wasn't enough communication in their opinion, so... Because I went on the DOC website to look at this and see how, how what DOC is um, saying about this, and they do have a statement. But it's, it's the Waikarimuana Walk, which is one of the great walks, this plan excludes the huts on that walk. It does, yeah. So the huts affected are often small huts, maybe up Waimana or Ruatoki or more remote areas. They may they may not be on main tracks. Or there, there are about fifty that are part of this proposal by Te Urutaumatoa. But you know, it, it still caused some outrage, and that's where we saw this High Court injunction filed. Whareniui Clyde Tuna, who is also of Tuhoi descent, asked the court to stop the destruction of the huts, saying burning them down caused great distress and loss of wairua. He brought that injunction saying it affects his tanga and that consultation by Te Urutaumatua was not done at a hapu level. The High Court's interim ruling ordered the work immediately cease and Te Urutaumatua release a complete list of the destroyed huts by 5pm today. And I think that's where that deeper story is, that this is more to do with some of the difficulties in the post-settlement phase with Te Urutaumatua, with Te Uruwera as it's governed as a whole. And I think there's there's a lot to unpick there that has been simmering for a while. You know, this is more than just about huts. There is quite a deeper element to it. So let's talk about that. Te Uruwera is special. Te Uruwera is an entity. And this is part of the things I've seen this mistake a few times in the past few weeks. Te Uruwera is not a national park. It has not been since the Tuhoi settlement in 2014. Te Uruwera is... A living person. Basically, yeah. It's, it's got its own legal personhood in a sense, like we've got now with Whanganui River, like Te, Ara, Te Awatupua, or like we've got with Taranaki Maunga recently as another one. It's not crown ownership, which isn't what a national park implies. There is a Te Uruwera governing board made up of Tuhui and the Crown appointees and Te Urutaumatua, which is a settlement body, mm. is also the operational side of this. And I think to get to where we are with how the settlement was set up, we have to sort of look at, at how the Te Uruwera National Park, as it was, came about. And it's you know there are several volumes of Waitangi Tribunal reports that went into this. 
Tuhoi did not sign the treaty in 1840. There was little interaction with the crown until the 1860s. And the corridor should be Tuhoi's town, but tell, but I'll just give a brief kind of mm. overview here. Some of the most productive land was seized in the 1860s as war went through Bay of Plenty Way with the Raupatu was taken off Tuhoi, never given back. In the late 19th century, there was an agreement signed with the Crown where Tuhoi remained self-governing. In 1896, Parliament passed an Uruweta District Native Reserve Act that was because after 20 years of negotiation, which enshrined Tuhoi lands around Tu Uruweta as this large reserve to be kept within Tuhoi, it allowed self-government. It was quite a unique thing, but as a Waitangi tribunal found, that Crown didn't uphold that obligation. Then over a few decades, much of this land has been lost through very dubious means. By 1921, 54% of this reserve is now in Crown hands. So it was a devastating purchasing campaign done on very questionable grounds. And then 1954, sort of unanimously, without any Tuhoi input, a national park was created, which just completely shut out Tuhoi of a lot of practices, a lot of its cultural work in Te Uruweta. So that is the background to how that national park came to be, and it remained a thorn, a very sore point until up until settlement in 2014. And when you say Te Uruweta is spoken for and governed by a board which has uh, Tuhoi uh, representatives as well as... Crown representatives, you know, we, we've had former diplomats, we've had former Prime Minister Jim Bolger on, as, as Crown appointees on this Te Uruweta board. And it started 50-50, and in the settlement it's laid out that it will gradually shift to majority Tuhoi. And the operational aspect of this board is carried out by Te Uru Taumatua, who are responsible for putting into action protection of Te Uruweta mm. and things like that. So, so that's, that's how this is structured here. On Doc's website, it says... Uh, the huts being removed are part of Te Uruweta Board's efforts to better connect Tuhoi people to Te Uruweta, a principal purpose of the of Te Uruweta Act. And it goes on to say that DOC supports Ngai Tuhoi in its vision for Te Uruweta. What is that vision? Yeah, and we heard Tamati Kruger, the chair of Te Urutaumatua come out and, and, and save us. He was on checkpoint when this protest happened last month. Well, first of all, I'd like to start with huts being the heart and soul of Te Urutaumatua. That's rubbish, isn't it? Why people, do you say that, Tamati? Well, pe- pe- people are the heart and soul of Te Urutaumatua. Te Urutaumatua has its own heart and soul, not, not a hut or a shed or a toilet. These huts, a lot of cases are very old and run down, you know. They're, they're not flash. I've been to a couple of them. And they're dingy, but they're shelters, you know. I think to suggest that we continue to run uh, with museum-type shelters and huts that becomes a memorial to what used to be in the 1950s and 60s uh, is, is really not tenable. We should be all excited with what follows decommissioning which is a a brand new place, a cultural experience 
closer to Teidewera uh, with with brand new facilities. So Tuhoi is setting about reimagining the Manuhiri experience for Te Uruwera. The huts will have cultural elements. He's, he said they'd be bespoke in terms of we haven't seen the actual plans yet, but they will be more than just, you know, a glorified shed with some bunks. Remembering that the whole uh, the whole point, the whole moral objective of the legislation is the reconnection of Tuhue with Teudawera. We can't be bypassing Tuhue people and then go and talk to trampers, hunters um, and and people who go boating and fishing. It's how this has gone about, I think, that has caused a lot of a raru-raru we're seeing. Nevertheless, we have talked uh, with some entities that have been very close and very contributive to Teruera for the last 40, 50 years. Uh, we, we have made it a mark to identify who our close friends are, who are the ones that share the Tuhua vision for Teruera, and we have done all of that consultation with them. There, there are others that, that, as individuals or smaller parties, use data. We haven't got around to them yet. But uh, look, we've been, we've been doing this for a long, long time. And these people have not expressed an interest in talking with us. But there is some friction within Te Uru Taumatua about its role, about whether it is usurping the role of hapu and things like that. There have been protests outside Te Uru Taumatua a few times in recent years, not just over the huts here, but this is the most recent flashpoint of that. There has also been one recently in terms of last year with the vaccination rollout. What role did Te Uru Taumatua have and were they getting in the way of, say, other groups coming in? There was another one with some hapu wanted to apply for provincial growth funding for marae upgrades, but Te Uru Taumatua, they argued, got in the way. So there has been some protests and friction over this here and over the mandate for Tuhui and you know whether that layer is getting in the way of a hapu layer within Tuhui there is a lot to still work out settlement is not an end point and it's a bruising process that takes time and stirs a lot of issues that have to be thrashed out. So I think I think we are seeing that manifest in this hut story. Mm. Right? It's been a flashpoint for something that's been simmering and something that is deeper. Tuhui and Te Uritaumatua have no sec- made no secret of the overarching plan to you know create something different with Te Uruwera, something to have Tuhui Tana stamped on it, and you can see the aspirations for the connection they want Tuhoi to have with Te Uruwera, but also Manuhiri to have with Te Uruwera. So the cultural experience would be that in the future, that Tuhoi people will be hosting visitors, can can host visitors who wish to contact and have friendship and uh, and relationship with Tuhoi people and get to know their daily life where they go, what they do, what they eat, what they're observing, and how how they commune with Teudawera. And and so that's that to me is more authentic. You know, I have whānau who work for Te Taumatsua in different areas, and they're very positive about the direction they're going in and the long-term vision that Te Taumatsua has for Tūhoi and self-governance and self-determination. 
Then you have whānau who feel like they're not being heard, um, they've been left out. You've got different hapu who have kind of pulled away from Tūrutau Matua, so I see it from both sides, you know, people are very happy with the direction they're going in, but also people want more transparency and change and, and um, I think more of a voice in, in some of the processes and decisions that are being made. You talk about the vision of Te Uru Taumata, and it does sound, you know... It's beautiful. It's, yeah, t- tell me about that vision. It's about that self-governance and self-determination and, you know, I think recently I've seen the eco-villages have, I think their first lot of eco-villages in Taniatu are about to open and I think for some whānau it's not seeing the results on the ground. Not the results on the ground but not seeing the benefits of the treaty settlement straight away. You know, it is an area where a lot of whānau struggle and, you know, there's inadequate housing and um, access issues and to services, so... Um, I think that's been one of the difficult things for some farmers, maybe not seeing the benefits straight away, and but I guess that takes time as well. You're the new generation of, of Tuhoi, so do you feel connected? Um, when you move away, you lose that connection. I'm lucky my parents always back at Maraihui and you know trying to stay involved in and the politics at home, which is, you know, they're not always pretty, but <laughs> but if, you know, these huts and creating new spaces is a way to um, draw more whānau home and to um, help my generation who have moved out of Tūruweta to, you know, find that connection back to their whānau and to the taiao, I think that could be, you know, really beneficial. That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is public interest journalism funded through NZ On Air and produced by Newsroom for RNZ. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. Today's episode was engineered by William Saunders and produced by Bonnie Harrison and Sarah Robson. And thanks to John Boynton and Jamie Tahana. Kakite. 